Oh man, growing up crazy. Well, this is going to be all about the 3D. And I know I usually shy away from the 3D with this, or at least I have for for a large percentage of, of these recordings. Um, I really got away from the 3D when I realized like I was doing too much of it, and I was getting well away from the entire purpose behind Growing Up Crazy. But a friend of mine over in Sarasota, Florida, encouraged me to go ahead and, and start touching upon the 3D. She's told me that these things... Um, that I had a habit of being able to summarize them, so I'll try to go ahead and do that here. So this will be a long one. This will be all about the 3D. I guess it'll be relevant to the things that are coming up in the world today. And I'll try in a way to, to capture the conversation that we had. So 3D according to Justin. So basically the structure that we're in right now, the political structure that everybody knows is Republican and Democrat. Most people are finally coming to the realization that, that these two organizations are... They serve their constituency, and their constituency is whoever passes money across the table to them, i.e. corporations and wealthy donors. That we are not the constituency, that the government for the, of the people, for the people, and by the people is really just a myth that hasn't been true for a while, that these people represent their donors. And the donor class, especially with the formulation of dark money and super PACs, are those that can afford it. If you look at the last election, I forget, I think it was $14 billion with a B, not an M, with a B, ever since uh, they removed the legislation, I believe it was in the early 2000s, they removed the legislation that limited campaign finance, and everything's really gone to shit since then. Uh, it was already, we'll just say it this way, lobbying is a polite way to, uh, lobbying is a polite way to say bribery. Now the foxes rule the hen house because there's no restrictions on money. And that is what has to stop first and foremost before we're ever going to get, get control of our government. But now what we're talking about is power. And power can only be met with power. And there's really only one way that we're going to do this. And it has to be done or else we will be railroaded into whatever sort of dystopian future that the oligarchy, the ownership class, as I call them, have in mind for us. Because the system that we have right now is all about ownership. It is ownership and it is based in debt. The currencies that we have come from the central reserve banking systems, which are issued at loan. So the easiest way to think about this is that it is a game of musical chairs where there's not enough chairs for people playing, and we're all playing. So when the music stops, somebody's left out, and that's bankruptcy. And it's hard-baked into the system, and the reason why is because there is more, there is, or it always has been, since the since this, this central banking system was instituted. There is more outstanding debt than there is available money. It's been that way since 1913. So if you think about it reasonably, if there's more debt in the world than there is money, the entire system, it doesn't run on wealth. It doesn't run on affluence. It doesn't run on prosperity. It runs on debt. That's why as a species, we have not experienced this since its institution. And there's only one way to reel this back in because now they have power. Um, businesses, and and it's about keeping one step away from the butcher's blade, you know, because it's coming. Since there's more, since there's more debt out in the world than there is wealth, when the music stops, somebody has to declare bankruptcy. And the people that are are suave with this system, that are savvy with this system, know this, and they're very good at making sure they have a, a whole bunch of chairs together. So that it's not them that has to file bankruptcy, and then the rest of us that are the workadays, we are the ones really. Uh, struggling with it. Because if you look at how the things break down, corporate profit included, 1% uh, of the population owns 45% of the resources. That's what I call the ownership class because that's what it is. Um, the 9% below them, they're the ones that 
the CEOs, the CFOs, the people that run the corporations that control all of this wealth, they control an additional 45%. So the other 10% of the wealth that's left available in the world is divvied up among 90% of the population. And so when that music stops, that's us that goes goes scrambling for a chair. You know? And that's just how our system works. That's how it runs. If you look it up, this is the way it goes. And that top 10% that own 90% of everything, they own the world. The capitalism is really just sort of like feudalism 2.0, where the aristocracy is no longer by lineage. It's about ownership. But they own everything. Don't, don't fool yourself. And they are the aristocracy, and the rules don't apply to them. And that's what I say is power. That is the power. If you want to think about it a different way, the 1% is the person that owns the Chrysler building. The other 9% below them are the people that work in the top floor of the Chrysler building. And the rest of us below that are chattel. And that's the way we're seen. And if you don't believe me, the World Trade Organization puts out reports on countries every single year. And you can go look one, look at one and read, read one. And it really speaks about us, the population, as chattel. That's how it, we're, we're even seen. Because they see the world in terms of ownership, and we don't have it. And this is just the reality of the world as it exists. I'm not saying this in any sort of like poo-hoo, wah-wah way. It's just the reality, and it's the reality that we need to, to understand if we're to do anything about it. And what can we do about it? Because we have very little power when it comes to... We have no power almost when it comes to financially, in the court systems, in the police system, National Guard, in the military systems, in the political systems especially. Um, and we have very little power. But one thing we always will have is power in numbers. And that's why it is so important. That's why everything is so divisive. Because it's, a way, it, it's, it's the only way to divest us of the power that we have, of the only power that we have, and keep us as chattel, is it has to be divisive. We have to be against each other, because if we were ever together, we would uh, understand the system that is that is doing the reaming. And so to get back to the regular, original point of the story is how do we, well, how do we change that? You know, we, we can go on about it ad nauseum, does nothing to talk about. How do we change it? That's the important thing. And I've thought about this a lot through the course of my life, and I realized that there, there really only is one way to change it. And, and there's going to be an entire process just to get us to the starting line. Like, we're not even in the race. We are not even in the race. We're not even in the bleachers. We're in the parking lot of this race of the world. And, and the people that own everything knows it. The only way to even get us to the starting line so that we can get a candidate out there to run would have to begin with campaign finance reform because as long as the system... Are, are the, the world runs on laws, and as long as the laws are created by the people that are subservient to these powers, they will never reflect us, they will never benefit us, and they will never serve us. So the, the first step is to take control of this electorate system. And how do we do that? Well, the only way to do it is to get money out of politics. We will never do it through voting. Money has to be getting out of politics because they have 90% of the money and we have 10. So as long as our political system is based on money, we will always, it will always be a losing game. So, and how do we do that? Well, historically speaking, if you look, whenever somebody has got, got gained national momentum, that person winds up dead. This, this process will have to be done at a city level with, with a, a million and one little fires because the one thing the system is terrible at is putting down these types of small insurgencies. It can't do it. It's, it's massive and it's bulky. It is not nuanced and it's not flexible. The system that has been created now, it's like a pyramid. You know, it's hulking and it's not easily maneuvered. 
So it's done the same way that we legislated marijuana legalization. It's done city by city. That's how marijuana got legalized. The San Francisco decided, well, we're going to decriminalize marijuana. And then San Diego decides they're going to do the same thing. After a while, you have a county. When you have enough counties, you have a state. When you have enough states, you can go national. And that's what we're seeing right now with marijuana legalization. And that will have to be done the exact same way by campaign finance reform. We'll have to have legislation in place at a city level that says you cannot accept donations. We have a government stipend that you get that everybody gets the same amount of government stipend, period, regardless of party, and that you have that to run on and that's all you get. Nothing is done, charitable donation, nothing's done, in-kind donations, you know, because that's another way of donating is in-kind. Well, I'm just going to run an ad for you. I'm going to form a, a non-profit and run an ad for you because I can accept a lot of donations that I don't have to report on because I'm a 501c4 and I can accept dark money from super PACs. So we get rid of donations, we get rid of in-kind donations, you get a stipend, and then we have to do it the way it was done old school style where the newspaper carries stories about your viewpoints and people have to, dare I say, read. And this is what I mean is, is it will take a much more active involvement by the civic population than actually showing up once every couple of years to vote for people. Well, we ourselves will have to be heavily more involved. But if we're, if we're involved enough to get a petition passed, then we're definitely involved enough at that point to run our own candidate. So it's almost like a litmus test. Being able to pass this legislation at a city level will be a litmus test whether that city's electorate is responsible and aware enough in order to run their own candidate. If they can get this done, then they, they, they get the blue ribbon and they're ready to go. City by city by city being ready to go. And what this legislation will do is it'll just limit campaign finance and reform. It'll cut it off at the knees. But here's the thing. At this point, you are challenging true power. So it cannot be done simply through normal processes, because through, through legal processes, because our system is a self-healing system. And when I say legal process, I mean just going through a petition. I have a, I have a story that I won't take the time to tell. But we, one time I was a part of a political action committee that was going to go ahead and put, a, put in this kind of legislation that was going to limit a city, just as a city. And there was a whole bunch of laws that even our lawyer wasn't aware of that they could invoke in order to stop us. And we moved heaven and earth to get enough petitions by the due date to get this law put on the books. And the city was like, invoked some clause that nobody had ever heard of before to where it was just, to where they could just reject it out of hand because they didn't want it. And so... And we could have, we can sue, but by that point, when you win the lawsuit, the, the, the election is passed, and then they'll just recreate that law in a different form. So it's a zero-sum game. The system is self-healing against attack. You have to understand that. There is no electoral means of changing it. They have shored up all of the weak points, and it is self-healing. So in addition with this, well, then what do we do? In addition with this legislation, we'll take, have to take something out of the playbook of the 1960s. We'll have to do civil disobedience. That's the only way to do it because power must be met with power. And we have no power in the electoral system. We don't even have power in the system when it comes to um, amendments, getting things put on the ballot. Because if it's something that directly threatens the power structure, it will just simply not be allowed. It will not be allowed. And I've experienced this personally firsthand. So there has to be a level of civil disobedience behind it. And one thing that we've seen is if there's civil disobedience, the weathermen are still in jail, right? They're still in jail to this day. If you don't know who the weathermen are, look them up. Poor bastards are still in jail to this day because they took civil disobedience to a level that actually threatened power. We're not going to do that because there's no need to do it. But this legislation will directly threaten power 
So even if you are just standing by in a sit-in, they will throw the book at you because the legislation you're there to support directly threatens power. Our actions, the only civil disobedience we'll need will just be sit-ins, sit-ins in, in city hall, things like that. Misdemeanor level city, misdemeanor level civil disobedience will have to go along with this on a large scale, but we'll have to be ready for them to throw the book at us because that book is, is a coming because they know that this, that if this legislation goes through, it will stop their way of life completely. So the, the third part of all this that will have to be done is the same strategy that was used in the abolitionist movement. We would have to have enough civil, civil awareness so that no jury would ever convict somebody of civil disobedience in regard to getting this issue across, getting this issue passed. Wouldn't matter if somebody was photographed by the police sitting in city hall, guilty, clearly guilty. If the jury says not guilty, that person walks. So this is the three-prong attack, and this is the only way that it will actually be successful that I've come up with in my mind, is city by city, county by county, state by state, beginning at first with getting money out of the electoral process, beginning at the city level, which in which the, there's a, a petition to change the laws concerning campaign funding with no more direct donations, no more in-kind donations, civil disobedience to push this, to use real power, to use power against power, enough people sitting in the steps of City Hall disrupting the meetings day after day after day being arrested by the police because you will be and this is where this is why we all have to get together because republicans hate the idea of having to go up against the police they hate they they always like to see themselves as the good guys on the side of the law but you have to understand power will use the power it has at its disposal even if you we have right on our side the police are coming so we will, you will be arrested. You'll have to be willing to te- catch that misdemeanor arrest charge. But if we have a jury that will refuses to convict you, the same way they had an abolitionist movement, there is the power structure then becomes impotent. There's nothing they can do about it, and we win. And as far and that that just gets us to the starting line. That actually just finally gets us in the race in which we can run a candidate. But I do believe if a city is organized enough to do those three things, then the rest will just simply follow suit. And they will already probably by that point have a candidate emerge from within the movement that people feel comfortable getting behind. Put that person out there and that person will win. Because in a fair race, without money involved, in a fair race, we'll have the first fair race that city's ever seen in a 100 years. But a fair race without money involved and that, so, that level of civil involvement already behind that candidate you you could literally in one election take over your entire city government. And then, then you can make real changes on a city level. But that level is what directly affects your life anyway. Your city government has way more power over your direct life than the federal government ever dreamed of having. They tell you who your police officers are, how fast you're going to drive, where you're going to get to work when you get there, um, the roads, all of it. So it really is worth doing. People think of civic involvement at a city level as as kind of unimportant, but it's actually the opposite. Um, your city level has way more say-so in your life than, than regular. And then in the castle in the sky dream of the movement is eventually getting the county and then your state. And then you will have the first free state the union has seen in quite a while. All right. That's the 3D according to Justin Matthews. Growing up crazy. This one's out to Allison. Good old Allison Nune. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs>
more to come. Uh, the future following will be 5D. I did go to the woods. I did go fasting. And um, there's more to report on that. But later, at a later time. Because I intend to do it again. And get in a much more cohesive manner with it. Um, so that I don't I don't ramble as much anymore when I'm trying to pick my way through these things. Because a lot of times when I come out of meditation, my mind is still 5D. And I'm, having a, I'm still trying to reel it back as I'm recording. But I'm trying to record while I'm still in 5D because I want to get as much of it as possible. <laughs> So I don't forget. All right. Cheers. Much love. Growing up crazy. Choose love.